Good morning. Uh, I know Pastor Dustin already introduced me, but I'm going to introduce myself again. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is TJ Renninger, uh, and this is my wife, Kate. Uh, we work for a college campus ministry called Disciple Makers, and this morning I would like to share from God's word from, with you, as well as provide a ministry update for how things are going in our ministry. Yeah, so the past two weeks, now we're coming to the close of two-week-long traveling around, um, meeting up with people, catching up with many others um, like yourselves, and uh, in doing so, this has taken us to many, many little cafes, many little restaurants to go to, various stops, and uh, so like the other day, we were driving around, and we were meeting with people, and we had to... um, we were really hungry, and so we found a place, this random place is called The Sandwich Man. And so we stopped and got a sandwich at this place, and let me tell you, this is the greatest sandwich I've ever had, because I, I don't know what it was about it, but we got there, and we ordered these sandwiches. I got roast beef and corned beef hoagie. It was so good. And as I bit, bit into it, I was like, oh, this meat is so good. This roll is really nice and soft, and I was really excited about it, because I also like to bake bread, so I really appreciated it. Um, sorry, I was distracted about from this bread. No, it's okay. Um, and so I just really, really loved this sandwich so much. And so we were leaving, and I got in the car. And as I, we were getting in the car, I was like, TJ, that was such a good sandwich. It was really good. And he was like, okay, cool. Um, and then we left and spent our days. And then as we're, like, getting ready for bed, I was like, TJ, that was a really good sandwich. <laughs> And he was like, okay, I think I get that it was a good sandwich. And I was like, no, you don't understand. That was so good. And we, like, have to tell everybody about this place. So if you go somewhere, where were we? I don't even know. It was near Harrisburg. Near Harrisburg. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, if you are near Harrisburg, just look up the sandwich man. And you should go and get a hoagie there because it's so good. And the man was so nice. Oh, he gave us some coleslaw, too. That was really good. Um, I'm not just stalling, I promise. I really did want to tell you about this. It's ready to rock. Huh. Oh, I can hear myself much better. Um, yeah, so you guys are probably wondering why did Kate just ramble on and tell you about this awesome sandwich she had? at this random restaurant that we went to on the way back home to my parents' house. Well, one, because she thinks that you should go there, and two, because her excitement about the, the, how wonderful the sandwich man is reminds me of the passage that I want to share with you this morning. Just as Kate was praising and singing the praises of the sandwich man, so does David sing the praises of the Lord in Psalm 145. As David reflects upon the character and the deeds of the Lord, we see him describe a God that he can't help but speak about. Let's take a look at what David has to say in Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God, the King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation will praise your works to another and will declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. People will speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. They will burst forth in speaking of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate 
slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. All your works will give thanks to the Lord, and your godly ones will bless you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your might, to make known to the sons of man your mighty acts and to the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in his words and holy in all his works. The Lord supports all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry for help and save them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but he will destroy all the wicked. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. Thank you. Let's pray. Dear God, we praise you for not only who you are, but all of your mighty deeds. Uh, Like David, we cannot help but sing your praises. Lord, please be with us and guide us as we examine this text. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, wow. David is just so compelling that we truly do have a God that we can't help but speak about. I love how he marvels at who the Lord is and what he has done. He powerfully proclaims that the Lord he powerfully proclaims the Lord by increasingly broadening, broadening the scope of his audience in this psalm. David's first audience is himself. He then moves to God's people, and finally he moves to all people. And he finishes strong by listing off a myriad of truths about the Lord that give credence to the Lord's worthiness to be praised and spoken of. Let's explore the psalm through David's three audience starting with his first audience, himself. We see at the beginning of this psalm, David opens with a declaration that he himself will exalt the Lord and that the Lord is worthy to be praised. This is a personal praise between him and the Lord. David takes the first three verses of this poem to state his own personal exaltation, blessing, and praise of God, as well as the acknowledgement of the Lord's greatness. At the beginning here, David is speaking only for himself and the Lord. There's not a call to an action for others, but simply he's honoring and recognizing the majesty of God. This opening puts David's full focus on the Lord. It shows that his priority is the Lord, which is very important because remember, David is king, which meant he is the leader. He is the example for all of Israel. In, In his own words, when David is describing uh, kingship and passing it on to his, his son Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 2, it says, As David's time drew near, he commanded his son Solomon, saying, I am going to the way of all the earth. Be strong and prove yourself a man. Do your duty to the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, his testimonies, according to all that is written in the law of Moses so that you may succeed in all that you are doing wherever you turn. 
So that was David's own words of his, what it meant for him to be king, and it was to follow the Lord. We see that his instruction he gives is centered around the Lord and his duty towards him. What a beautiful example that David is giving at the beginning of this psalm as he praises the Lord. As the psalm continues, we'll see how David calls his people to praise God as well. As he does so, we can be fully confident that he is calling them to do something that he does himself. I'm reminded of an athlete who has trained for years and is now imparting their knowledge onto kids through coaching. He teaches them exactly what they need to do to become successful. David here sets the example of praise, fully focusing on the Lord, and then declares how the people of Israel will join in with him in that praise of the Lord. Now, just as David passed down his role as king to his son Solomon, he expects God's people to pass down the praise of the Lord from generation to generation by declaring his mighty acts. Now, this isn't a new concept. In many cultures and for many centuries, the way people knew their history and their way of life was through oral storytelling. You read various parts of Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, where we see God's people recounting what has happened to them and what God has done for them. And as this, uh, what God has done for them. And as this psalm continues, this is exactly what God is calling his people to do. How about we take a look at the verbs that we see in verses 4 through 7 and in verse 10. David uses uh, phrases like declare, speak, tell, give thanks, bless, and even shout. But let's take an even closer look. Notice that he actually says, will declare, will praise, will speak, will tell, will give thanks, will bless, and will shout. Why is this will important? Well, it's because it makes all of these verbs future tense. David has an expectation that they will happen. The Lord's majesty and his works will be shared. He goes on to remind his people that the Lord, who the Lord is in his character. Look at verses 8 and 9. God is described as gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, merciful, and good to all. These are wonderful attributes of the Lord. And it's so encouraging to know that this is the character of the God that we serve. These are the things that we share about when we glorify God and what is passed down to future generations. Now, we could simply just recite verses 8 and 9 uh, to others, but I'm sure there are specific examples in our lives where we have experienced God's character in these ways that are evidences of his grace, compassion, and mercy. So as you consider applying this passage to your life, consider, are you sharing about God's character and deeds with the next generation? Do you regularly praise God and his character to your children, to your grandchildren? This isn't merely an application for older people who have kids, but it's for all God's people. So share it with anyone of another generation, your nieces, your nephews, your aunts, your uncles, even your third cousin once removed. You could also share it with others in your spiritual family, the kids here at church, the newlyweds, the single guy that sits alone. David invites us to proclaim God's goodness. But David doesn't stop here. He moves beyond himself. He moves beyond Israel. And he moves to include what he calls in verse 12, the sons of mankind, or what I'm going to call 
everyone on the earth. In verse 11, he says that they, that they being God's people, are to tell of God's kingdom, an everlasting kingdom that endures through all generations, which is ruled by a great king, the Lord, who performs mighty acts. This kingdom that is to be proclaimed to everyone on the earth, which includes many who do not know the Lord, is good news. This is good news for the one who is estranged from the Lord. Look with me, starting at verse 14. It is good news that there is a Lord who supports all who fall. It is good news that he raises up all who are bowed down. It is good news that he gives them their food, opens his hand, and satisfies their desires. It is good news that the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. How can we not share about this good news? Remember how I asked you to consider how you are sharing God's character and deeds with the next generation and listed off a bunch of family members and people in your church? I'm now going to expand that to everyone. The couple that moved in down the street, the guy in your gym, your child's soccer coach, anyone that you cross paths with, cross paths with, or have a relationship with. David has expanded this psalm to include everyone on the earth. So who comes to mind? Write down their name. Consider the ways that the Lord has been at work in your life so you can share that with them. Now that we've gone through addressing all of the audiences that are in this psalm, we can see that the psalm is not finished yet. Uh, David has not finished this psalm of praise. Instead, he does something interesting here at the end. He reveals the criteria of how to change audiences. So what does that mean? It means that for the people who are not God's people, it gives them an opportunity to become God's people. Receiving access to the great king who is being proclaimed and experiencing his glory and might. It reveals that there is a Lord who is near to, fulfills the desires of, hears the cries of, and watches over all who call on him, all who fear him, and all who love him. But there is a greater act yet to come that David did not know about. About a thousand years after David's life, God showed his grace and mercy as described in verses 8 and 9 by sending his only son, Jesus, to live a perfect life, die a sinner's death, and rise again conquering sin and death for all those who believe in him, even though they didn't deserve it. This means that God has purchased your pardon from sin with the blood of Jesus to reconcile, himself, to reconcile us, you, back to himself. What a mighty act. Have you heard of this mighty act? Have you heard of the Lord's mighty deeds? Have you responded to the good news? Maybe you've remained complacent. You've heard, but you haven't acted. I invite you today to call upon the Lord and fear him. As it says in verse 19, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Fear him in his might. Cry out to him as you see your deep need for redemption from your sin, and he will save you. Or perhaps you have heard of God's glory and grace and are following, following him right now. Are you so deeply impacted by him that you can't help but praise his name? Share it. Take a moment to think about ways you've seen God's work in your life. Who can you share this with? As you spend time reading the scriptures, 
What passages can you share with others? No matter what it is, uh, it will be a great encouragement as we surely do have a God who we can't help but speak about. Lord, we thank you for your, your mighty deeds. Lord, we thank you for your character and who you are. Lord, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, the ultimate mighty act, living a perfect life and dying and rising again. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So, now that I've, I've shared from God's word with you and, and shared about this God that we can't help speak about, I want to share about our ministry uh, with disciple makers and how disciple makers can't help but speak about this God. So Kate has come up to share, help me share more about our ministry with disciple makers. Yeah, so I know that some of you are a bit, might not know us as well, so I uh, just thought I'd share some overview of what we do. <laughs> disciple makers is... Oh, here we go. Disciple Makers is a college campus ministry reaching 21 campuses across Pennsylvania. Um, and our mission comes from the Great Commission to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Um, we don't want to just see the students' lives impacted for the four years that they're at college. We want to see them build a foundation for their lives built on Christ alone so that everything that they do beyond college, whether that's getting a job, joining a local church like yours, serving their community, starting a family, whatever that is, that all of that will overflow from a love of Christ that changes everything. Uh, we truly want to see students uh, become disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, all the while praising God, um, praising God's acts and his wonderful, um, mighty deeds. Yeah, so our model of ministry at Disciple Makers is very similar to the way that Jesus did his ministry. We see in Jesus' ministry that he preached to large crowds. So similarly, Disciple Makers has a large group uh, that meets on our campuses uh, once a week where we're sharing a message from God's word to a large group of people. It can be anywhere from like 30 to 100 students. It totally depends on, on the size of the campus. And so Jesus also had, had like a smaller group of people, his disciples. And so the way that that looks for us is we do small group Bible studies. And so as Jesus went deeper with his disciples, deeper than he would with the large crowds, we also do that in our Bible studies. We're going deeper into the text, and we're not only just teaching them what the scriptures say, but we're training them on how to lead others in studying the Bible as well. Our goal and our hope is that they will be leading Bible studies in their dorms and ministering to their peers that way. Also, we see Jesus had an even smaller crowd of, of, that were a subsection of his disciples, where it was very intimate and very personal. And so similarly, we do the same thing at Disciple Makers. We meet with students one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, we walk through their life struggles. Uh, we, we point things that they're going through towards Scripture. And as we're discipling these students, our goal is, and hope is that what they're learning from us, that they will go and take and disciple students as well. So as Kate was saying, our hope and goal is to disciple students who will disciple students who will disciple students. And so that is what the model of our ministry looks like at Disciple Makers. Yeah, I really love what Disciple Makers does. Uh, not biased at all. Uh, but uh, we, uh, and how we reach college students. As a college student myself, when I went to Muhlenberg College, um, I was personally impacted by the ministry um, and just know how critical of a time of life that is. Um, in college, you're constantly bombarded with 
things to do. There's always more and always something to catch your attention, whether that's just your schoolwork or extracurricular activities, research projects or internships or time with friends or parties or weekend events, whatever it may be, there is always something on the college campus calling for your attention. Maybe even you relate to that in your own life, and it's pretty overwhelming. And so in all of that, through all of the what's calling out to them, the Lord is also calling out to college students. He's quietly whispering, um, patiently waiting to speak to them. Seeing students turn to the Lord in all of that chaos is pretty amazing. And to choose to include Bible studies or go to a large group meeting or do outreach and more things, put any of that into their schedule is pretty incredible. And for some, um, we even get to see them give up an entire weekend to come to a conference. Uh, That's pretty miraculous. Uh, for some of them, that can just feel too costly that the other things call them to those to, to seek after the world. But for those who are choosing to pursue the Lord, whether wholeheartedly and they are eager about it and they can't wait to tell people about it, or for those who are just not sure and they just want to investigate a little bit more about who the Lord is, that weekend away um, can be one of the most impactful times for them. And that is what my job is. I plan all these conferences that Disciple Makers gets to do. Um, And throughout the year, these are the big long list of all the things that we do. There's three main ministry-wide conferences, fall conference, women's conference, and focus. Um, There's two staff training events, winter and staff. And then there's a whole bunch of other random things that I help out with, whether a spring break trip or a men's retreat, or um, we have one called Restore, which is for students of color. Um, And so whatever there is, there's always something going on. Um, But as TJ was saying, our campus activities, those Bible studies, discipleship, that's really our core model. And there's great community in that. And those personal relationships, that's what we're about, Um, helping people walk through and see how Christ is what they are longing for. But those large ministry-wide conferences provide a deep weekend or a whole week of teaching and Christian community that truly bolsters our campus efforts. We host these events at various venues across Pennsylvania um, where they get to hear teaching from our Disciple Makers staff Um, both in the, we have some main sessions that's on the conference theme. We have some breakout sessions that are more topical to like what the students really care about, whether that's dating or anxiety or what part does, um, I don't know. I can't even think of all the topics anymore. Um, lots of hot topic, hot topic things, um, that they would really want to relate to and want to learn more about. Um, and, Uh, We have been blown away by the response of students, particularly post-COVID. This year, just a few weeks ago, we had fall conference um, at the end of October, um, and we had a record-breaking attendance of over 500 students and staff. And so I think I have a picture of them. There they are. It's a little dark, but there they are, all 500 people. Um, And it was pretty amazing. Uh, And so sometimes people ask me what my day looks like since I'm not full-time on campus. I don't lead the Bible studies, but this is what I do. And so it's still very much a lot. (laughs) It takes a lot of planning to coordinate 500 people for a whole weekend, whether that's communicating with the venue, like this is at the Harrisburg in downtown, nope, the Hilton in downtown Harrisburg, um, 
communicating with them or running registration or negotiating the catering, um, assigning hotel rooms, coordinating the session spaces, and answering lots and lots of questions and so much more. Um, those are all the things that I get to do, and I love all of those details. And so some of you might have like groaned a little bit thinking about all those details of scheduling and whatnot, and you're like, no, thank you. Um, or you just tuned out completely, but I love doing it, and it's really the way that God has made me. And so it really is a joy for me to do this. As I plan these events, I do have a team of people um, that work on various elements of this, whether the conference director or the worship team or whoever it may be. And we figure out how every element of this event will allow the gospel to go forth unhindered. Um, see, just as TJ talked about go, how we, can, uh, we can't help but speak about the Lord, we want to make sure there's nothing stopping people from hearing that. We figure out... Um, that this means that we consider how to even just set up the main session room so that everyone can see and hear it clearly. It means thinking through how to manage the buffet lines so that students can easily grab their food and then have good conversation over their meal. Students want their food. They, they do. <laughs> uh, it means asking, even considering how much break time do we put between things so that people can get to the next room, use the restroom, grab their coffee, and not miss any of the teaching that they're going to hear. In whatever way that we can serve the students such that the main sessions that, they're, that, that they can hear God's word in all of these sessions. But the amount of work that I take on, um, does, it means that our campus staff don't have to try to do all that. Can you imagine trying to run a Bible study and meet with five more than five students and plan this big event? It's not going to happen. And so I get to do this and so that they are freed up to do their work on the campus, that they can be out making disciples on the college campus. Because I love these big events, and for many students, it's a highlight of their semester. Um, but, but the real work happens in that day-to-day, -day, living life alongside the students and showing them how Christ is their foundation. College, it's only four years. <laughs> So we want students to um, prepare, to be prepared, to take their faith beyond disciple makers and beyond what they experience just at one of these really cool events. Like, we want it to be more than that, though it is a pinnacle. It is a highlight. Um, we want it to be a lasting impact on them. And I praise God that he gives me the opportunity to be a part of this. Okay, so I've been talking a lot. <laughs> And I've been telling you a lot about these events, um, but I want to show you a bit more about Fall Conference um, and what I've been talking about. So this year, um, we had our theme was Hope Out of Heartache, the God's Redemption in the Book of Ruth. We did the Book of Ruth at this huge event. It was great. And our main session teachers walked through this book and showed how even in the deep heartache, if you're familiar with the story, Ruth and Naomi at the beginning have great tragedy. And in that deep heartache that they are feeling, there is ultimately hope when Boaz arrives into their lives and redeems them um, and uh, is, their, is their savior. And how that is such a great shadow of how Christ is our redeemer. In our heartache, Christ will be our redeemer. Um, and we, we say the end of Ruth, there's a verse, um, uh, it says, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. And that was our, our prayer for the students to recognize Christ. So I'm going to stop talking now, and you can watch this video.
just been especially busy for me and I feel like just with everything else going on with school it's been nice to have a weekend and just focus on God and learn you know with everybody in the fellowship. Questions weren't answered, her sorrows hadn't settled, her wrestling hadn't resolved, yet the Lord brought her back. Even as we wrestle, the Lord welcomes us home. I've been learning a lot over the weekend so far. I've just been learning how to like trust God in the midst of heartache. You know, like when everything seems terrible or everything seems hard and difficult, just to still trust that God is still there. And that's like the main thing I've really been learning. I'm excited. I was here last year. Yeah, I had great time. I'm for this year. I'm at PJC From the Bible, that this is the this is the great climactic story, really, of the Bible. He values us much more than the birds of the air. He's paid the most precious price to call us his own. So this moment of Ruth curled up saying, why on earth do I get favor? I am your enemy and I do not deserve it. This previews for us, this reality, that the people who bow the knee to Jesus, oh, God doesn't take you to be his servant. The Bible says God wants you to be his beloved. Do you want to go? Isn't that pretty cool? Yeah. Okay. So that's what we do. Um, that's what the students get to experience um, in college uh, with disciple makers. And tying it back to what Jesus, what TJ, hmm, that's weird. TJ is talking about in his sermon, I think you can really see how much the students can't help but speak about the Lord. And I think that's really incredible. And the event, uh, at, at this event, uh, we sent on an eval to the students afterward to share what their experience was, what you like, what didn't you like, those kind of things. And so here are a few quotes that particularly encouraged me. First one, students saying, it was life-changing. I have never been to an event like this with such a strong community of Christians. I've learned more over that weekend than I have in my whole life about God. And I'm excited to continue to read more on my own. Another student said, I felt as though I did not have to hide who I am. I could express my love for God fully and not feel scared about what others would think of me, especially kids my age. 
I think that's pretty incredible to hear these students share that. Um, one other, oh, that was not a fine quote, oh, whatever. Um, it really is a privilege to do this um, and that I get to do what I love and how God has gifted me um, and to do that full time for an eternal purpose and for the glory of God um, and to see how these conferences pave the way for students to also know about the glory of God. I'm going to stop talking now. Yeah, you're exhausted. A little bit. I got real excited. Yeah, so Kate, uh, she shared about her work and how she loves to serve disciple makers as an event planner. And so my work in disciple makers is serving the ministry through technology. Uh, my work in the systems department uh, helps to maintain all of our technological needs, which is incredibly relevant today in an age where our staff and students both heavily, they rely heavily on technology, digital communications, presentations, and more. My vision is to remove all technological obstacles so that the ministry efforts on our campuses can be multiplied. I want to remove any tedious task. I want to uh, remove any misbehaving technology. I bet none of you have ever experienced that. Uh, but yeah, my job and my vision is to remove any of that so I can save time for our campus staff so that they can be fully invested uh, on the students who are on campus. And I love that God has gifted me in that and that I can use those skills to serve the ministry of disciple makers. So I just want to share a quick story of something that happened a few weeks ago. A young lady, she called me, a young lady on staff, she called me crying that she spilt water on her laptop. And she, it, was, it was Monday, so she didn't know what she was going to do for the rest of the week. And so we brought her in, quickly set her up with a loaner laptop. She didn't think that that existed, so she was elated to, to know that she could get her work done for the week. And so we dried out her laptop, got it up and running, and gave it back to her, and then got to sit down and talk with her about what it's going to look like having a device uh, with water damage and maybe potentially getting a new device. So it's little things like that where I get to help our campus staff when they're in a crisis, and I can fix it for them so that they can get back to their work and focusing on the students and not focusing on water in their laptop. Uh, one of the main long-term projects that I've been working on in Disciple Makers is actually replacing our financial software. And so the reason that we're doing this is because we want our software uh, to work well for us. A lot of the off-the-shelf off financial softwares aren't really made for ministries who are fully supported by donors and that don't really sell anything. Usually things like QuickBooks is for if you're a business and you're selling things. So we needed something that heavily integrated the giving aspect of the ministry as well as the financial aspect. And by in implementing this new system, which is called Cardia, we hope to remove a lot of wasted time of having to transfer things over from our giving system and transferring it over into a system of, fi of financial accounting that doesn't really fit our ministry needs, a system that we kind of had to like fit a square peg into a round hole. It, it kind of did the job if you pressed hard enough, but it wasn't really fitting our ministry needs. So I'm really happy that I'm able to install uh, this new financial software that it will better fit our ministry needs. I'm just looking at the time here. Yeah, and so I actually want to share, before we wrap up here, an opportunity that I personally had at Fall Conference to talk with some students who are studying computer science, which is what I studied at Shippensburg. And I was really excited to hear that they wanted to use their degree uh, to serve the Lord. 
uh, which was, I love to hear that because that's what I wanted to do too, and that's what I am doing. So I actually got to sit down with two freshmen. These were freshmen guys who were interested in using their degree to serve the Lord, which was kind of mind-blowing that this early in their college career, they were, they were willing to sacrifice uh, essentially everything that they've learned in college for the Lord. And one of them is actually a student at LVC right down the road. Uh, I can't, I'm going to keep his name uh, quiet, but uh, it was just a really good time sitting down and talking with him and sharing what it looks like to use uh, your uh, skills and your vocation for the Lord, not only in full-time ministry, but also like in the workforce, how they can excel in their job, but also share Christ. And also shared with them that there are so many ministries that have a severe need for technology. It's just not something that many ministries have, and so they're hurting from a technological standpoint. So I was able to share with them that there is a great need for technologists in ministry. And so I really cherished that time talking with these two students and sharing about what it looks like to use your skills to serve the Lord. So we plan to continue serving with disciple makers for years to come for as long as he calls us to be here. And here's how you can help us do just that and partner with the ministry. There are three ways that you can partner with us. The first is to pray. Come find us at the table that's out in the lobby there. Grab our prayer card, sign up for our newsletter to get regular prayer requests. We cannot do this work without the hand of God, who we petition each day for wisdom, grace, and strength. The second way that you can partner with us is through connections. Help us meet other people. Do you know someone who would love to hear about how we are reaching college students with the gospel? Connect us. Do you know a college student who wants Christian community? Connect us. Come find us out of the lobby and share your connections. The third way that you can partner with us is to give. After serving with disciple makers for five years, and due to some general increases and some attrition, Uh, we need to raise some additional funds. Specifically, we need to raise $650 in regular monthly giving for our ministry to reach our funding goal. You can help us reach this goal by becoming a financial partner, or if you already are, prayerfully consider increasing your giving. If you have any questions or want to talk any further, you guessed it, we're going to be out at the lobby, and you can come find us and do just that. In all of this, we give our deepest gratitude for your support of this ministry. Thank you for sending us into the mission field, and thank you for being a part of this kingdom work.